Father, help us to turn our eyes to Jesus as we just sang. Here, even here in in this story, the the seeds of, of your work are present. And we pray that you would help us to see Jesus. Because we know that when we see Jesus, when we behold him in his glory, we are transformed, as Paul says in, in Corinthians, into the same image. That we're made more like Jesus simply by beholding him. So we ask that your spirit would help us to see Jesus this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we talk a lot about faith around here. And for good reason. You know, one of the most famous verses of Scripture, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes, whoever has faith in that Son, Jesus, won't die, but will have resurrected, everlasting life. So what what we believe, what the Scriptures teach, is that faith is very important. Your life depends upon it. And not just like Polar Express kind of mushy belief. We're talking concrete faith in a particular person, Jesus. Now, there's a lot of resistance to that claim, uh, but it actually makes sense. You know, people think, well, faith, I mean, really, that seems kind of arbitrary and silly that my eternal destiny would depend upon whether I believe in a certain, in a certain person. It seems, it's sort of like um, settling a dispute with a wrestling match. You know, people do it. It's kind of like, what, how does this correlate to the answer to the question? Right? It seems arbitrary, silly, not fit. But actually, let me say, I believe it makes perfect sense. Here, here's the Christian claim. God, the, the, the creator of the universe is not just this impersonal force. It's a person. It's a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They have been loving and relating to one another in submission to one another for all eternity. And eventually their, their love overflowed into creation and gave us everything that we see. And so when it comes to relating to other people, Maybe car, let's say you're a car owner, you probably are. When you relate to your mechanic, what's kind of baseline requirement for that, for that relating to that mechanic? Trust, faith, right? Faith that he's going to do honor to the work he does and, and treat you fairly, right? Teacher-student relationships. At, at, at the bottom is trust, faith. It's fundamental to that relationship. Uh, business, if you're in a business partnership with another person, faith, trust, in the business partners, fundamental to that relationship actually working. Parent-child. Every human relationship must have some degree of faith and trust in the other. And so it is with how we relate to the world and how we relate to our Creator, who also is a relational God. Faith, trust, is at the core of, that, of, of, of relating to God. And so what it means to walk by faith, that's a very complex thing, and there's many facets to what the walk of faith looks like, and that's why we consider it so often, because it's all over the scriptures, faith of Abraham, faith of Jacob, faith of Isaac, we've looked at all of those things. 
And now we're going to consider Jacob, who is beginning to demonstrate faith. It's, it's, it's budding in this passage. We, we, he's encountered God, but he left that encounter. It didn't appear to be much changed. 20 years of his life were just reported to us. And in those 20 years, there's hardly anything until the end. Any acknowledgement of God in his life, any prayer, any praise, there's no fruits to, to any faith. But in this passage here, at the end of the 20-year period, Jacob's beginning to show faith. Kevin Van Hooser describes faith like this. Faith is living in and out of trust in God's word. Okay? And that's what, he, that's what Jacob's beginning to do. He's beginning to live in and out of trust in God's word. So that's what we're going to consider this morning, some of the contours of the life of faith. And I want to highlight five things this morning. we got five points. We're going to move a little quicker through the five. But faith is a, the first thing is that faith is a response to God's initiative. Faith begins with God. It's a response to God's initiative. That's the first thing. Faith follows reason. Faith goes beyond reason. Faith produces works. It's number four. So we got faith begins with God. Faith follows reason. Number two. Faith goes beyond reason. Number three. Faith produces works. And then the fifth and final point is that faith escapes. Faith escapes oppression, we might say. So let's consider this story. If you remember Jacob way back 20 years ago in his life, hoodwinked his brother Esau for the blessing. And Esau was angry and still wants to kill him. Uh, So Jacob left. And he also left at Isaac's command to go find a wife in another country. So as not to marry one of the Canaanites, but to go back to the old family land, which sent him on his way to old Uncle Laban. And he's been living with Laban for for extended time, like 15 to 20 years. Uh, And he married, and we remember the marriage. He thought he worked seven years to marry the beautiful Rachel, only to find out that that Laban tricked him under darkness and under veil, and he married Leah. And then another seven years, and then he he marries Rachel and works another seven years. And last week, you'll remember, there was a lot, you know, the, the, the old uh, Jacob's tent was marked by battle, division, uh, envy was at the heart of all the hostility that existed in the home. And finally, after years, Rachel gave birth to a child. And that's the segue to our passage this morning. By the way, because Rachel finally gives birth to, to the child, it makes sense for Jacob to ask to leave. Because having a child in, in the marriage relationship in this age sort of locked it in. Jacob couldn't just say, bye, Rachel. It, it solidified the relationship. And so Jacob goes and asks to leave. And then look at what Laban says in chapter 30, verse 27. Laban says, if I found favor in your sight, uh, I have learned by divination, by seeking the gods through kind of weird means, by magic, that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So name your wages, and I'll give it to you. Do you remember that? He said that, he said that 15 years ago. 
Jacob, I got to take care of you. Name your wages. You know, it sounds very generous, right? Name your wages. I'm here for you. Here he says, name your wages. And we're thinking, oh, flashback, Leah, name your wages. There's, Laban's got something up his sleeve. Well, Jacob says, verse 29, you yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. You had little before I came, and it's increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. Like, Laban, everything I touch is gold. You, I have blessed you. But I've been building up wealth for your household, and I've got a growing household of my own. I've got, how can I provide for them? And so Jacob says, here, here, here's what I'll do. I'll go through the flocks and get the speckled and the spotted lambs, and Laban approves. Now, of course Laban approves, because this is a sweet deal for Laban. Jacob kind of undersells his, his side again. Remember, he says, I'll work for Rachel for seven years, when a typical bride price was like a year and a half of wages, right? And here he goes, I'll take the speckled lambs. Typical hired servant in this age would get 10, 10 to 20% of the flock, The speckled lambs in any given flock at this point was like less than 10%. Jacob's being, uh, I guess you might say generous to Laban. Maybe he's being naive. I don't think so, given what we know about Jacob. He's being generous. And Laban says, let's do it. And he makes the deal even sweeter by cheating. Look at what he does. Verse 35 of chapter uh, 30. But the same day that they work out this deal, Laban scurries off, removes all the male goats that were striped and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one of them that had white on it, every lamb that was black, basically all of Jacob's future flock, he takes it all away, and he set a distance of three days' journey. He sent them way off so that there's no way that Jacob would ever find the speckled and spotted lambs in the pack, in the flock. And that's what he does. Now, so then Jacob goes out into the field, and he does something interesting. He takes these sticks. What is he doing with these sticks? And he's showing the white of them. This is like a, we don't know exactly what he's doing, but it it, it appears to be a pagan practice. So Jacob's kind of doing a little voodoo magic out in the, the breeding fields of these goats to try to get them to... It was believed that the, seeing bright colors during mating would like boost fertility within the goat flock. So Jacob's trying to help the situation. He's trying to get more, more healthy flocks, spotted, speckled flocks. And on top of that, Jacob does a little selective breeding, good old-fashioned selective breeding to also help himself get a healthy flock. And surprisingly... Given everything that was stacked against him, Jacob pulls off the upset. I mean, he's not supposed to benefit from this deal. Just, you know, given the eye test, this is not a situation that Jacob's going to do well. But he does. And you look at the story, just as, as you look at chapter 30, and Jacob's still not praying. He's still not praising God. He's still not even acknowledging God that we see. But he's relying on these weird pagan practices instead. And this has been the case, like I said, since Jacob arrived in the land of Laban. 
But in chapter 31, we begin to get insight into what's going on at the heart level in Jacob. And as we, as we see what's explained in chapter 31, we, we, we see that Jacob is beginning to walk with God and he's beginning to operate out of, out of God's leading. He's beginning, in other words, to walk by faith. And so the first, again, the first point is that faith is a response to God's initiative and word. And we see that in chapter 31, verse 3. Look at what it says. God shows up to Jacob and says, verse 3, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And like I said, based on this timeline, he's been in the land of Laban for 20 years since God appeared to him last time. And here again, God's word to Jacob, God comes to Jacob and gives him a word. He reveals himself to him. And remember, there's no scriptures at this point in time. Moses is the one who writes this book of Genesis. This is like 500 years later or 400 years later that Moses is writing this. There's no scripture. So they're relying on like God coming to them and speaking to them through dreams or, or somehow mysteriously in the flesh. And God comes to him and says, return to the land of your fathers, your kindred, and I will be with you. In other words, God has initiated through speaking to Jacob, Jacob's budding faith. You know, Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump said, Forrest, have you found God? You remember what Forrest Gump says? I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. And that's actually pretty good theology. Like, on our own, we don't know that we're supposed to be looking for God. Well, we do in a sense. You might say we're looking for God in all the wrong places. Right? We're looking for our creator, but we, we're just like dogs, nose to the ground. We're looking all over creation to find, to fill that God gap, right? Until the spirit comes into us and awakens us and makes us look upward, we don't have any interest in God, our creator. Remember what Abraham was doing when God called him way back in Genesis chapter 12? He was worshiping the moon, with his pagan brothers and sisters. That's what he was doing. He was a moon worshiper. And God's word, boom, came to, Je- to Abraham. Come to me. Follow me. I will bless you. I'll make you a great nation. I will give you children. I will bless those who bless you and persecute those who persecute you. He said all those things. And, and Abraham awakes and goes on the, walk of, on the road of faith. That's how it works. It begins with God. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, faith is a gift. Not a work, lest anyone should boast. That it, faith is a gift that God brings down into, into us and gives us. And then we respond to God and his work. See, Jacob has not been walking in faith all this time. But God comes to him, God's word speaks to him, and Jacob begins to reorient his whole life around his creator. That's what's happening in this passage. He even reinterprets his experience of the sheep uh, breeding in light of God's revelation to him. His faith like get retroactively helps him to see God's hand in him all along when there's no evidence that he saw God's hand in the moment, but upon reflection sees God's hand. 
Now, in just a moment, we're going to baptize little roads here, and this will be a great moment, and it's, it's a great picture of faith. We, we were all Rhodes. Think about what Rhodes, what is Rhodes thinking when we're going to baptize him? I don't, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. But I, don't, I think he's pretty well oblivious to, to what's going to be taking place. He doesn't understand And this is a picture of God's spirit coming down, the water coming down upon him. And that's that's how it works. We were oblivious. God initiates it. It's a work of God, and faith is the response to that. Our confession says that saving faith is a work of the spirit, and it comes normally through the ministry of the word. That's exactly what we've seen here. God speaks to Jacob, and Jacob starts showing signs of faith. Okay, so that's the first point. Begins with God. The second thing is that faith follows reason. Faith works in accord with reason. Now, oftentimes we pit faith and reason, right? There's, there's reasonable people, people of reason, and then there's people of faith. And people of faith aren't people of reason, and people of reason aren't people of faith. We think that these two things are mutually exclusive, but they're not. Faith follows reason. Faith works in accord with reason. And we see that here. Look at chapter 31, verses 1 through 3. It says, Jacob heard with his ears that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. So so Laban's sons are beginning to get disgruntled and uh, not like Jacob. And Jacob hears it. He hears that this is happening. And then, verse 2, Jacob saw that Laban didn't regard him with favor as before. And then, verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. In other words, God is acting Jacob, asking Jacob to act in faith in a manner consistent with everything that Jacob is seeing and hearing. Right? He's looking at the situation on the ground. He's hearing Laban's son say, we don't like Jacob. we got to do something about this. He's getting too rich on, on dad's back. we got to do something. And he's, he's, he's seeing Laban, that he's losing favor with Laban. In other words, his reason, he's deducing from, those, from what he's taking in through his senses. He's reasoning and he's deducing, I don't think I'm welcome here anymore. I think my time has expired now. In this land. And then God's word comes to him and says, sure enough, you're right, Jacob. Go. It's time to leave. It's time to go back to your, to your homeland. So faith follows reason. But, look at, this is the third point. But faith also goes beyond it. It's like a race. There's reason, and then faith is following it, and then faith just goes way beyond it. And we see that in this sheep breeding episode. You know, the deck, as we said, the deck is totally stacked against uh, Jacob in this deal, this business negotiation that Laban and Jacob work out. is totally stacked against Jacob. The, Jacob has a tiny percentage of the flock, starting with, with speckled and spotted, and then you know, so, J- so Laban has a competitive advantage, and then Laban does even more by cheating, so giving him, like, total advantage in this situation. And yet, Jacob is blessed. 
He's blessed. And at the heart of faith, at the heart of faith is rest. It's receiving. It's resting. You know, uh, a few weeks, about a month ago, I was, um, I had COVID. I, it, Thursday night, Friday morning, it was like, yes, this is COVID, positive test. So I call um, a pastor, uh, RUF minister in Stillwater, Wilson, who you may remember was here, and asked him if he would preach for me. And I asked a number of you here to kind of help with various things. Now, I could have worried and fretted, and it's sort of my nature to worry about, oh, is he, is he going to get it there on time? Is he going to remember? Is everything going to work? Are all the things going to be in place? And, but I had to take a deep breath and exercise faith. The more faith I exercised in Wilson and some of you who I asked to help with various things, the more faith I placed in you, the more I could rest and not even worry about it because then you guys are taking care of it. That's what faith does. Faith rests in, in another, in the work of another. Faith produces rest. It produces peace. Laban is not a man of faith. And what is he doing? What does Laban do as soon as this business negotiation goes down? Does he take a deep breath and think, we, we worked out a deal. I think this is fair. I think this is going to work out. What does he do? No, he, goes, he runs back to the fields and he tries to manipulate the situation, further benefiting himself. He tries to exert control over the situation. That's what he does in verses 35 and through 36. When we don't believe, we got a death grip on life. We're seeking to control, seeking to manipulate the situation in a way that favors us. I was up this morning at 2 a.m. It's kind of a common thing for me. Um, I'm anxious. I just get anxious. I don't even know why. Just anxious about stuff. And, 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 and what's my problem? I'm not, I'm not trusting Jesus enough because if I really understood Jesus' love for me, I don't get anxious. I'm at peace because come what may, his hand is on me. He's hold, he's, he cares for me, and he's going to take care of me. There's nothing to worry about. Uh, there was a, a prayer, there's a, a book of prayers that, was, that we have, and one of the prayers in the book, Every Moment Holy, I know some of you have this, one of the prayers in there is a prayer for those who can't sleep. It's like, well, I guess this would be the one I read right now. This warm reminder of God's love. The fruits of faith are peace. The, fruit, the non-faith is control, manipulation. And Jacob recognizes here that, that, that um, Laban has been manipulating the situation. He's been oppressive. I think it's probably the best word to use. He's been oppressive. Ten times he's going back on his word. And Jacob's just living on this roller coaster of Laban's wish. He's, he's always changing the rules in Laban's favor. But I want you to notice, Jacob realizes that the Lord's hand has been on him. While Laban has been busy manipulating the situation, Jacob's done a little bit of his own manipulation, right? The stick trick. Uh, we, we could recall Rachel in the last chapter. She was doing some of that too with the mandrakes. Another pagan practice that maybe could kind of give him a little favor. But in the end, remember who it was that opened late Rachel's womb? It was the Lord. And in the end, Jacob sees it wasn't the sticks. It wasn't the sticks. Look at what he says. Chapter 31, verses 4 and following. 
So Jacob sent and he called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. And he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, and yet your father has cheated me. He's changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. And moving down to verse 9, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Was it the sticks? No, it was the hand of God. That's what Jacob is seeing. That's what God's revelation is revealing to him, and that's what he's slowly granted, but, but steadily, he's beginning to see God's hand in his life. You know, as this situation in the Ukraine unfolds, I've been thinking about Psalm 2, and Taylor, the psalm that you read a moment ago, was it 47, 46, um, was another great, I think, pertinent psalm for, for our day. Um, but Psalm 2 also says, similar, similar to Psalm 46, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Right? Feel that. The nations plotting in vain. The nations raging. The leaders of the world trying to manipulate, control, gain power. Laban's do, the nations do that. Laban's doing that in his little world. Laban's world. But those who are the Lord's rest. And it says in Psalm 2, the Lord sits. While the nations raise and busy themselves and mobilize and operationalize, what does the Lord do? Psalm 2, the Lord sits in heaven. He sits and he laughs. It's all in his control. He, he holds the nations, the, the nation's leaders like a stream in his hands. He just moves them wherever he wants. The Lord is sovereign and in control. And because of that, we can rest too. Even when your reason says, I shouldn't be resting right now. There's something wrong. Think about it. This is, think, think, think about Abraham. Hundred year olds. They couldn't have children in their, when they were young enough to have children. And here they are in their hundreds. And God says, I will, I will provide you with a, with a child, a son, that will be the father of many nations. You... Abraham, that's his name, many, father of many nations. 115-year-old guy walking around. Big Daddy is what we called him, right? That's what his name literally was, and he had no children. And, God, and, and, and yet God delivered. God delivered, miraculously, a son. Israel was not supposed to escape the, the, Egypt, the Egyptian power, the world power, the greatest power on the earth. Little Israel, enslaved, bound, and they escaped. By God's power. Daniel in the lion's den, right? These carefully starved lions in a pit. Daniel gets thrown in. What's your reason tell you about the chances there? Is he going to do well in that situation? But he did. He survived. The lions didn't kill him. David, Goliath, little shepherd boy versus the mighty Philistine warrior. Who wins? What does reason tell you? Even the people of Israel were like, this guy doesn't have a chance. But with eyes of faith, it takes you beyond what your reason says. Now, let me say this too. This does not mean that to be faithful is to be unreasonable. It makes perfect sense 
that if there is a God, and he is for us, and he is with us, that he has the power and might to hold back lions, or hold back Philistine warriors, or open Red Seas, or do whatever God may to deliver his, his people. That makes sense. makes a lot of sense. But it's not what we would deduce normally from, from reason. In, faith, in that sense, faith goes beyond reason. Okay, so the, the fourth point is that faith produces works. And we see that, really, I, I want to point it out in the negative, because Laban is showing some kind of faith. It's like an intellectual grasp of what's going on. Look at what he says in, in chapter 30, verse 27. Laban said, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Laban sees God's hand in Jacob's life. I mean, it's sort of a confession. It's an acknowledgement of what's going on. He's got the right words. He's seeing something accurately. But it's just intellectual. It's not producing any, any, any fruits of faith in it. And in that regard, it's, it's dead. It's dead. He's not been changed. You know, James, in, in the book of James, says, you believe that there's one God? Good for you. The demons believe it as well, and they shudder. Right? Just believe. There's, there's, a, there's a type of belief that doesn't produce any, any, any works or any fruits. Remember what Van Hooser said? Faith is living in and living out of trust of God's word. And I, I fear that in an effort to, to, to evangelize, sometimes we haven't fully represented that truth. That faith isn't just a confession. It begins with the confession of Jesus as Lord and Savior, but it also manifests itself in a life of, of faith, bearing fruit. And because Laban has this intellectual grasp of God's work in his life, but no real faith. He's, he's, he's getting flattened over the course of this. He's becoming very one-dimensional as a character in this story. And that's what an intellectual grasp does. It, it flattens us. Uh, Waltke, uh, Bruce Waltke, a commentator on the book of Genesis, says this. Laban's character is flat. He is ever the selfish schemer and cheat. Jacob, on the other hand, who has faith, he's developing he was a passive victim of Laban and his wives with reference to his marriages and his children, but now he is once again aggressive, shrewd. If faith means living in and out of trust in God's word, it deepens us as people. Okay, so the, the final point, faith escapes oppression. Faith escapes. This is, this is the most important point. Faith escapes oppression. Now, we've said it before, but Laban's abusive. I, I, we don't see that he's like physically abusive, but he's certainly a manipulator. And, um, and we see that here. And we, see, we actually get a little more detail on it, even as it relates to his daughters. Look at what his daughters say. Verse 13 of chapter 31. Jacob says of God's vision, he says, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go from this land, return to the land of your kindred. And then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, now remember, Rachel and Leah, 
They weren't getting along. You know, leave, leave it to like a bully or a bad guy to bring the family together. Because here they have agreement. They're aligned. Look at what they say. Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us. He's devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Right? Jacob, we're with you. Let's get out. What are they saying? See, they're saying our dad treats us as a foreigner. When, 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 when Laban earned a lot of money and wealth from the, the marriage of his daughters, a big portion and chunk of that was to be placed in a trust for Rachel and Leah in the instance that their husband died. They were to get an inheritance. It was like an insurance, it was like a life insurance policy for them. And apparently, Laban didn't do that. He, he, used, he burned it up for himself. And they see that. And they say, we're treated as foreign. We're not even his daughters. He doesn't treat us as his children. But Jacob, too, and this is probably more obvious, Jacob has been oppressed by Laban. And I want to I draw your attention to chapter 30. This is the very beginning of what's printed. Verse 25. It says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph... Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home, home and country. And he says, give me my wives, verse 2, or I'm sorry, verse 26. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. That, the verb there is abad. And it's, it's the word used to describe an enslavement. It's the same word used in Exodus chapter 1 where Moses is describing the situation and it's the people were abod and they were abodding and they were abod to the taskmasters, abod, abod. It shows up like 10 times in a span of a few verses. And here it is again, three times in a single verse. Jacob is, is essentially a slave to Laban. He's oppressed. And so they make their escape. Look at chapter 31, verses 17 and following. They, they arose, they set their son, the, the, his sons and his wives on camels. They drive away the livestock, all the property, everything that he had gained, the livestock in his possession, all that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban, had, Laban, on the other hand, had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. We'll come back to this, but just a little mental note. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. And he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the, toward the hill country of Gilead, the place of his birth. Now, this whole thing points, it's a foreshadow of Exodus. Abad, 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 oppression, hasty escape, that's what they make, quick escape. And we're going to see next week, guess what Laban does in his family? They pursue them. And miraculously, Jacob and his family are delivered. See that? That's going on. It's, it's, it's a foreshadow of the story of Exodus. 
But we too are enslaved because the story of Exodus is our story. The story of Exodus is our story. One of my favorite hymns uh, is And Can It Be. We've sung it before. Um, but in that hymn, it says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. So this is the picture. I'm in a dungeon. I'm, I'm, I'm shackled. I'm locked up. It's pitch black. I can't see anything. Nature's night. I'm dead because there's a quickening ray, which means an enlivening ray. I'm dead. I'm hopeless. And all of a sudden, God diffused an enlivening ray. I woke up. God initiated, right? I woke up. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. We are oppressed. We're bound. It's an oppressing, oppression of our own choosing to sin. And we're bound. We're enslaved to it. Think about the story of Exodus. What's the story? The people of Israel, God's judgment is coming. It's coming from the destroyer. So what do they do? They take the blood of the lamb and they put the blood on their doorposts. And whoever has the blood of the lamb on their post, the judgment of God passes over them. And then what happens? They're free. They, the, the bonds are loosened and they, their chains fell off. Their hearts are free. They go off and they leave Exodus. They leave their enslavement. And what happens after they leave? They're baptized in the Red Sea. After they're freed from, 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 from their enslavement, they're baptized. And what happens on the other side of their baptism? They receive the law, enabled, empowered to go and do good works. But they haven't arrived to the promised land. Remember, they're in the wilderness, 40 years, aliens, sojourners, stumbling, fumbling their way, seeking to obey the law, oftentimes failing, but nonetheless, looking past Jordan's stormy banks, casting a wishful eye, as we sing, to the promised land. That's our story. Jesus is, what did John call Jesus? The Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus poured out his blood, and we put that blood upon us. We receive his gift of salvation. We escape our enslavement to sin. We, we become baptized. We are enabled to, to, do the, to, to follow the law of God. So that is Christian faith. If, if you don't believe in Jesus, let me say again, your life depends upon it. That's what the scriptures teach. Your life depends upon it. And you may say, well, I still don't like it. I still don't, it just, it just doesn't seem, it seems narrow. It seems, you know, I just, I don't know that I'm there. Let, let me ask you this. Do you have a say in the matter? <laughs> you know, um, beggars aren't choosers. Remember, our, remember what, what our position is? Bound in a dungeon, dark, sin, no hope. Um. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about, he, he says, when we get caught up on the particulars of, 
of kind of how salvation works and the inner mechanics of it. He said it, it's, it's, it kind of, he doesn't like it very much because he says, imagine a guy like drowning and, and, and he's in a river and the current is sweeping him down the river. He's about to die. He's about to drown. And somebody from the shore reaches out with a stick and says, here, I've got help for you. Imagine that man that's drowning saying, I, you're, you don't look like you have good footing over there. Or, that stick doesn't look like it's strong enough. Or are you sure that this is going to work? No, he just grabs it. And that's, that's what faith is. It's just grabbing in our, in our desperate need. And here's the thing. If you feel as though God, if, if you feel as though you do have need for Jesus, that is a work. I'll get that to you. Um, that is a work of the Spirit. We, you don't, you're not convicted apart from the Spirit. Remember, it's initiated by God. So turn, turn to Jesus, begin this walk of, of faith. Let's pray. Father, we give you uh, thanks for the good news of your gospel. We thank you that we see it here, even in shadow form, our salvation, as Jacob escapes uh, Laban and his oppressive ways. We pray that we would uh, continue to grow deeper and deeper into your love or grow out of your love so that we might love others and um, help us to continue to see you uh, this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen.